Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 272 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Wednesday, January 20th. It is Inauguration Day here in America, and I am Donald Wine, your host for this episode, sitting right here in the epicenter of world politics, Washington, D.C. We are not here, however, to discuss the inauguration of a president, but the performance of our basketball team as I bring in my two partners in crime, Sam Klein and Jason Evans. First off, Sam, how are you this morning? It's a gloomy morning up here in Boston. The sun is not shining as it is not upon the Blue Devils basketball program. It is, it is most certainly not. We do have some sunshine here in D.C., which makes for great optics uh, on this uh, special day of occasion. Jason, also uh, good to see you, sir. How is it in Atlanta? Uh, looks like a pretty nice day. I've been able to get out and walk a bit lately, which is nice. Uh, the weather down here has been walkable. I, I wish it would get warm enough that I could bike. But the problem is when you're on your bike, you're moving faster and it gets colder. So I haven't been biking. I've been biking indoors and I want to get yeah, biking outdoors. That makes sense. I, I have not. Uh, I mean, obviously, given what has, is going on here in D.C., I literally I, I have not opened the door to my apartment since Friday. So uh, we pretty uh, smart, man. <laughs> yeah. Like literally like, has not even had not even touched the doorknob. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to getting out and going for a walk possibly tomorrow or maybe Friday once everything has kind of died down and left the city. But again, we're not here to discuss DC or anything yeah, that's hey, going on here you, today. You, you missed a great transition. Meanwhile, the Blue Devils were out and about playing basketball last night. They were playing basketball. They they were traveling as well. They were outside. They went to Pittsburgh to take on the Pitt Panthers. It got off to a rough start. Start. I mean, stop me if you've heard this before. They did show a lot of fight in the second half, but ultimately they fell short, falling to the Panthers 79 to 73. They dropped to five and four, three and two in the ACCs. Their second straight loss, both of them coming on the road. And Jeff Capel becomes the first former player to beat Coach K as a head coach. So uh, I start with the headline, guys. You know, we do like to do a headline. So, Jason, what is your headline for this game? Well, you kind of stole it a little bit there. Uh, ready for the puns? Pitt pops the champagne as Cable becomes the first Duke assistant not named Bray to beat Coach K. That was, it rhymed, and you had puns. Uh, I hate it. Champagne. It was, <laughs> I hate it. Uh, you know what? No, he, he rhymed at the end. He kind of tied it off. I'll give it a seven. It was, it was, it was a good, it was a good effort. It, better effort than our guys had in the first four minutes of the game last night. <sighs> Sam, what is your headline uh, for this game? Energy matches attendance for Duke. Oh, that's, oh, that's clever. Short and clever. Uh, and guys, mine was not clever at all, but it tied in a little bit of what you both said. Despite energetic comeback, Duke can't shake another cold start. Very, very simple. So uh, we do like to start with dessert. We will start with the cake. Uh, and Sam, you know, first off, after the slow start, we did really have a really good second half led by Jalen Johnson. Yep. Jalen Johnson is my is my big ticket item here for what went right for Duke. Obviously he was out for a few weeks with an injury. We saw him in very limited minutes uh, in, in the most recent game. And last night, even though he was technically coming off the bench, he basically played a starter's role for Duke was all over the place. He made shots. Uh, he, he had a couple of really great defensive plays and was, was getting his teammates involved. It's clear that, that the team missed him a lot. And my only <laughs> question is why wasn't he starting? because it's clear that he was that he was ready to go and he along with Wendell Moore who also is still coming off the bench I think more justifiably so given the the streakiness of his season so far Johnson and Moore combined I think to be the most effective players for Duke last night while other guys were struggling to hang on to the ball and and make open shots and and they were they were the two most effective guys at both ends of the floor I, I was going to say the thing I loved about them was their defense uh, Wendell Moore at the top of that zone, both the zone press and then dropping it back into a three, two, um, his length and smarts matter a lot in that zone. And I think he played ex excellent defense, um, having him and Jalen Johnson on the floor is a great defensive pairing. They can both erase shots at the rim. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I can't for the, I, I can't begin to understand why those guys weren't weren't in the starting lineup for a Duke team that is struggling so desperately to get off to good starts. I mean, guys, it, and it's not just, oh, the team gets down by a little bit. We're getting down by 15 plus points in every single game. 
I, I, I don't understand it. Don't understand it. But uh, sorry. This, yeah, is no, to, this is supposed to be the good news. I, I'm going well, to wait. Well, it, it's say, a short segment, but it is still the good news. Yeah, and I will say that Coach K mentioned after the game, we'll get to some of this audio in, in the Kale part of this, the, the bad part. Uh, we did, he did hey, talk. I kind of like Kale. Yeah, it's not, I, it's not I don't. I don't. I'm hosting this week, so it's so it's kale. <laughs> yeah, can you pick? Can you pick something else that I don't like? Because I, I love kale too. I, I think Dude, we're not calling. The, it's the no, broccoli part. I love no, broccoli. you don't slander broccoli. Don't slander broccoli. We'll we'll, we'll discuss it asparagus? when we get to the asparagus. No, I love asparagus. Well, two to oh, one. On, wait, so wait, 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 wait. Hold on. This this has to happen right now. We have to figure out what the three of us say. Basically, recently, you say anything green. Say any green vegetable. I'm I'm on board with hating it. What what it peas? Do you guys like I love peas? peas? I love peas. I'm trying to think of a green vegetable that I don't like until very recently. Like until last year, I didn't like mushrooms. Mushrooms. But, oh, I don't like mushrooms. Do I don't no, like but mushrooms. I, but I recently got over my no! distaste for mushrooms. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're for fast. We're going, we're flashing we back. Can, we can, we, we can it. pretend. We week. can pretend it's still a couple years ago. I still hate <laughs> mushrooms. That's fine. Okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm not committed to them yet. Sorry for that diversion, ladies and gentlemen. We, we will get to the mushroom portion uh, later on. Oh, this is going to be a thing. It's going to be, be a thing. thing. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to, when it comes to, uh, Jalen Johnson and why he didn't start coach K mentioned that he just wasn't, he didn't feel like he was ready to start because of the injury. And it makes sense, but he, he soon realized he's like, yo, this dude should have started the game. Uh, he started the second half for that reason. But I, I do think when it comes to Jalen Johnson and Wendell Moore, they were electric off the bench. It was great. They outscored the rest of the team. Those two guys by themselves, 39 to 34. That is it, you know, our bench play uh, wasn't great other than those two guys, but those two guys really came to play. And they were the reason why we hung in there for the entirety of the second half, all the way down to the very end. I want to return very quickly to the discussion on the veggies as I was <laughs> opening up a, a tab to do a little bit of numbers research just now. My, instead of calling it the veggies, can we call it the autoplay videos of Oh my god! <laughs> yes, we can do that too. Find yeah. me. Look, every vegetable has a fan. No one is a fan of autoplay videos. So yeah. it's the autoplay videos portion of the of the podcast is when we talk about what went wrong for Duke. Absolutely. Yeah, and, hey, and by the way, last week we talked about spam phone calls, almost as bad as autoplay exactly. videos. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Same same category of just no one asked for this. Yeah, and the one final thing I will mention that I will note for the the good part, the cake, because everyone loves cake, uh, is that we moved the ball around very well. We had 18 assists on 27 made baskets. That is a really good percentage. We keep talking about this and the fact that we weren't moving the ball. We made a few more of our open jumpers and our open shots. That led to that increase in assist number. Uh, we'll get to the rest of it in a minute, but I do think moving uh, moving the ball around is what contributed to a lot of these, you know, points, especially in that second half when we were keeping close and creeping back up and creeping back up. It was the ball movement that kept us in it. On the other side, our zone, I think at, at times when we were energetic, the zone was effective because it caused them to take some very uh, poor shots and let us get out in transition, which is, you know, we don't have a lot of high qualities to our game this year, but transition has been one of them. I, I, did want to highlight Donald and, and you mentioned it that the second half run that Duke went on where they almost again I mean is this is this not the most broken record item on this episode is Duke going on a second half run and coming up just short of the of the goal here but in that run Duke being able to play zone effectively as opposed to in the first half where it seems like they were still kind of adjusting to it I, I said out loud I don't think I texted you guys this but when I turned on the game and Duke immediately fell into zone defense just to start. I, I said just out loud to nobody in particular, wow, Duke is in his zone. Coach K must feel like things are really serious right now, and it did take them some time to adjust. But eventually, that zone created a couple of good steals and, and, and breakaway points. Look, I, I, I think we've seen in recent years that Coach K sometimes, especially with really, really young teams, realizes that we've got to go zone and this this year's team seems to be one of those teams as well I I think that they are they are long enough that they can really still bother shooters on the perimeter when they go zone because that's the thing you have to worry about are you creating spaces where the other team gets open shots and and Pitt to their credit and Pitt's an experienced team we talked about you know we talked about in the preview the fact that this is even though they're not a lot of seniors this is a team with a lot of guys uh, who are sophomores and juniors who played a lot. Uh, they, they understood, especially in the second half, I think, how to 
make the zone move a little bit to create an open shot for them. And I credit Pitt played a, an outstanding game. This is, this is a very good Pittsburgh team. Um, but I, I think the zone is going to be something you're going to see from Duke a lot more going forward. And uh, if we're going to have the kind of season that we expect to have at Duke, I think the zone will be an important part of it. And then the last thing I wanted to mention is we're in the dessert or whatever we want to call it portion of, of talking about good things. Um, I, I did. We have to talk about just statistically what Jalen Johnson did, because it was it's a remarkable line. He, he gets 24 points and 15 rebounds. And those are the things you pay attention to the most. Also had seven assists. He also had four block shots. He also had two steals. And and by the way, he did all that with zero turnovers. So let's be clear. He led the team in points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, and he had zero turnovers. I mean, other than the fact that he had that he fouled out, that he had a few too many fouls, he had a truly impressive game. Um, you could chalk up you could chalk up those him. those fouls that led him to foul out, you know, with a couple minutes left to him having to do too much on the floor because he was taking tough defensive yeah. assignments. You mentioned that that he was um, he was really performing well on defense in that zone, and the and the Panthers were going at him, and Champagny was going at him. So that's just. That's just kind of what's going to happen, especially for a guy who's not that experienced and coming back from injury. I mean, he had a du- he had well, a double I'm... double in the second half. Like it was it was all over the place. And Window Moore, like you mentioned, was all over the place too. And, and I was going to say the key thing to look out for is we've seen Jalen Johnson have. I mean, this is this was his best game. We've seen him have games almost as good as this uh, a couple times in in Duke's past. But we've also seen him have games where he disappeared. The key for him, the thing I'm going to be looking for is can he take this, build on it, and sustain it? Consistency is such a huge bugaboo for these Blue Devils right now. And, you know, I guess we're segueing into the mushroom portion. But, um, I, you know, like DJ Stewart, um, who, who, who's had great games, was terrible this game. We, we need guys who can, can, we can consistently rely on them to play well. And uh, so I'm hoping, you know, Jalen doesn't need to be 24, 15, and 7 with four block shots every game. But, but I'd, I'd love him to be impactful in this kind of way in every game. That is so important for this dude. So as you mentioned, we are going to move to the autoplay video version uh, of this uh, recap. And I want to start with some Coach K audio because I was able to participate in his post-game press conference last night. And his opening statement was, I think, took the wind out of our sails because it was literally exactly what we have been talking about a lot on this podcast. And that is the slow start and the frustration around starting out so slow. So here's a little bit from coach K's interview or his post-game press conference, uh, his opening statement about starting out slow at every game and how frustrating that has become. We had our opportunities to win the game. And the most disappointing thing for me was our start. We have practiced so hard and tried different things. And for us, for me to have to call a timeout after two minutes, it is not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. And you're down 10 to nothing or whatever, whatever it was. But to me, that was the most disappointing thing is how we, started and then uh, obviously Jalen had a, a, a magnificent game and again he's just started to be with us so we you know you don't if he came close to doing that every game then that's something that we can count on every game you're not necessarily going to get 24 and 16 and seven assists and no turnovers but somebody who can uh, create manufacture shots and uh, um, and yeah, he did well. And, and Matt's got to play better. You know, he had a horrible first half. And uh, again, it's in all that. Then we found like Wendell played well. Now he's got to play well again. You know, there has to be some level. You know, for us to to figure out a team, there has to be some level of consistency of performance by, by all the kids.
So guys, he he mentioned it. He he talks about a lot. He he talks a lot about a, about a lot of frustration. But he said that having to call a timeout two minutes into the game because we started out slow is completely unacceptable. That is exactly right. And in the fact that every we we know this game plan is we talk about it every single time. We say, hey, if we can get out to a quick start or at least get out to a start where we're running with them and have that intensity and match that energy, then we will be at in these ball games and we will win some of them because we won't have to come back. Wendell Moore said as much in his post-game press conference too, where he said, we did that to ourselves and we should, we should be the ones up 10 early, not the other way around. And coach K you could clearly see he was frustrated at that point. Sam, talk to me about what you think is happening and what you think needs to change for us to get out to a quicker start. Well, the, Coach having to call a timeout before the first media timeout is something that Duke would impose on other teams for years and years and years. So Coach K is very used to being on the other end of that exchange. And I think he finds it extremely frustrating that his team doesn't bring the the requisite energy to just pound a a less experienced and, and less talent or a less talented team like Pitt early in the game. Right. Duke comes out in a zone defense that they, if they've played this year, they really haven't played that much. So even if Jeff Cable knows that it's kind of in the back pocket for Coach K, he's not sure if it's actually coming out. So Duke comes out right in the zone. Clearly, some of the Duke players are uncomfortable with it, but some of them are, are really ready to, to go in that, in that space, and, and they were able to pick it up in the second half. So we know that they were coordinated enough to, to generate steals, to generate frustration, to prevent the passing on the interior and at the, at the um, free throw line. And none of that happened. So Coach K, I think, expected a big burst of energy at the beginning of the game, expected a couple of steals to, to lead to big dunks and to, and to have Pitt kind of back on their heels, and, and that didn't happen. So there is, some, there, there is some missing component here. Maybe Jalen Johnson being inserted back into the starting lineup is something that will change it for Duke. Maybe it's, it's more lineup shuffling because we've seen guys who are at the end of the bench have some you know, bring more energy and more enthusiasm and more vigor than some of the guys in the starting lineup. So I expect to see coach K continue to tinker with the rotation. I don't think that he has, has settled on, on who his top guys are yet, because it does seem to to change night to night, but the, the, that energy at the beginning of the game needs to be a, a focus for the, for this Duke team going forward. So Jason, I, I want to give it to you, but I want to give it to you with a question because there was one stat that stuck out to me over anything else that we had. And that is your favorite stat free throw attempts, or I'm sorry, not free throw attempts, field goal attempts. And this one was interesting because we attempted 70, 70 shots and Pittsburgh only attempted 52 and we lost by six. So I'm giving it to you with this question. There's one stat that sticks out over all the rest as the reason why that, which normally, as you know, dictates how a game is going, how it ended up while we ended up, ended up down by six at the end yeah, of the game. Yeah, I've got two explanations for how Duke could get 70 field goal attempts, way more than Pitt did, and still lose the game. Uh, and, and those explanations are free throws and shooting percentage. Uh, and, and let me start with, by the way, that 70 field goals attempts is the most in any game this year. Uh, Duke had a couple games against BC and against Illinois. We had 67 field goal attempts in each of those two games. But this is the first time we've cracked the 70 mark. And 70 is a lot. That's, that's a, you know, an impressive number of field goals. Uh, so the, the reason 70 field goal attempts didn't work out for us was because we can't shoot, especially from the outside. We hit barely a quarter of our threes in this game. And we took a ton of threes. 18 of them in the first half, a more reasonable 10 in the second half. But if you're going to take that many, you've got to hit some of them. And, and there was a key possession. We were down eight with eight and a half minutes left. Um, and it was one of those moments where Pitt was starting to stretch things out again. And, and you, you, know, you were hoping that Duke could reel it back in and make it, make it reasonable. Put some Coach K talks about putting game pressure on your opponents. And you were hoping that Duke could put some game pressure on Pitt. Um, and there was a possession with eight and a half minutes left where DJ Stewart was wide open. I, I mean, like there was no one near him. There wasn't a guy like running at him or anything like that. He was wide open for a three-pointer that, that he missed. And it wasn't, it wasn't even close. 
DJ Stewart is supposed to be our best outside shooter. Um, and, and at times he's been very good this year, but we, and I'm not saying that a guy need, you don't, don't need to hit every single three, but that's one you've got to hit. It's a key moment in the game. You are a great three point shooter and you are wide, wide, wide open. And he clanged it and Pitt came the other way and scored an easy bucket. And, and suddenly it was a 10 point game again. And now we're fighting back from double digits. Uh, DJ was two of seven on threes. Jeremy Roach was O of seven on threes. Uh, we just have to find a way to be more efficient from the outside because we're getting good looks from the perimeter. So um, that's going to kind of lead me to the other thing I was going to talk about, which is the free throw attempts. Uh, in the first half alone, Pittsburgh outshot us from the free throw line 17 to six. Look, guys, Duke has always made its reputation as a team that makes more free throws than our opponents attempt. We're not even coming close to doing that this year. In fact, we're not attempting anywhere near as many free throws as our opponents attempt. Pitt, this game, made more free throws than Duke attempted. And it was just too much for us to overcome. Audis Tony, all by himself, Audis Tony made more free throws than the entire Duke team. One player on Pitt had more free throws than Duke. Get this stat. There are 347 teams playing Division I basketball this year. You know, the Ivy, there's a couple other teams on, on, you know, not on permanent pause, not playing at all. 347 teams in Division I playing basketball this year. Duke is 320th among all those teams in the percentage of our points that we get from the free throw line. We only get 13.5% of our points from free throws. Uh, and, and all of this goes back to something that I've talked about a lot lately, which is easy points. Other than steals, and Duke is great at getting steals, we do not generate easy points from the free throw line or from uh, or from our passing. Our assists, you guys are right, our assists have been up, have gotten better lately. Jalen Johnson especially was great at that last night. But we've got to find a way to get easier baskets. We've just got to. And, and if I can, let me, let me do really quick my last mushroom, veggie, you know, autoplay video, whatever you want to call it. With two minutes and 45 seconds left, I think, Donald, I think you guys knew I was going to bring this up. I, you, you never want to say that a game comes down to one possession. It doesn't come down to one possession. That's absurd. There's an entire game of possessions. Um, but with two minutes and 45 seconds left, Duke was down three. And, uh, and we had about as bad a possession as you can possibly have. Um, Matthew Hurt and Jalen Johnson never touched the ball in that possession. It's the possession where Jeremy Roach basically dribbles 25 of the 30 seconds of the possession, not even really going anywhere, not even really probing that much, just dribble, 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 and he eventually misses a layup. Um, not an easy layup. It was you know, a tough shot, but he misses the shot after not passing the ball to anyone really and nothing happening with it, and J.J. fought for the rebound and fouled out. And, and even though Duke was only down three and there was more than two minutes left at that point, I said, game over. I said, we've lost. There's no question. We're not going to win this game now. Um, partially because JJ had fouled up, but partially because it was such a terrible possession. I want to talk about that possession because Matthew Hurt and Jalen Johnson never touched the ball in that possession. Not once. Never even touched the ball. And the key thing that was happening for Duke throughout the entire second half was Jalen Johnson was touching the ball and he was a magnet. The defense was paying attention to him. They were coming to him. Hurt and Johnson are Duke's two offensive magnets. And magnets are the key to easy baskets because they draw the D they draw the attention of the other players. And then your other guys get open. And we did not allow our magnets to touch the ball on what I think was the most important possession of the game. And as a result, Duke lost when we were allowing our magnets to draw the defense, good things were happening. We must get to doing that. And we need to stop freaking dribbling the ball and doing nothing with it. Yeah, that, that was a very key possession. Like you said, I don't think it, was the decider in the game. But at that point, we were all like, uh, and, and that was when Jalen Johnson fouled out, we're just like, oh, like that's just a gut punch because not only did you not get a key basket or at least an attempt on a, on a key possession, you lose your best player on the floor uh, for the rest of the game. So that was a really bad moment. Uh, I will say that Coach K made a note to say that Matthew Hurt didn't play especially well last night. And I don't think he did, especially in that first half. You could say that None of us played well in the first half, but oh, he was awful in the first half. But he's he was, still a magnet. He's still yeah. a magnet. Yeah, uh, and he and, and the thing is, you know, we've talked about how great he's played uh, this year. But you have to give credit to uh, Justin Champagny, who 
went off for 31 and what 31 and 16 or something like that for, for Pitt. He was all over the place, especially in the first half. He had 17 points and was just every big shot that normally that we're making to put a game out of reach. He was making that big shot down the stretch uh, or at least feeding the guy who was making the best shot. So that was uh, very important for, for Pitt to have him play so well. Hey, 31 and 14 and five blocked yeah. shots. And, and the, the shock was the yeah. three. Pointers. So, I mean, Sam, when, when we were previewing the game, you talked about, Oh, he's not a great three point shooter. Dude, dude was, he was four of seven. He was draining um, for, for a pit team that, you know, is not a good outside shooting team and didn't have anyone else hitting threes at all. Champagne was a guy. I mean, and, and, uh, you know, we talked one or two fewer three pointers made by him at, at different key moments in the game and, and things could turn out differently. So th- that's how, yeah. you know, that, that, that's how like close I think this game ended up being despite Pittsburgh going out to that big lead early. I mean, we've talked about Matthew Hurt for ACC player of the year. I know who my ACC player of the year vote is right now. No question about it. It's not yeah. Matthew Hurt. Well, I mean, it, in a battle that was built between those two guys, Justin Champagne clearly won that, but I will end with this. We're going to end with, since I guess we all like peas or at least we all like broccoli, then we will go to this silver lining type of part. And I want to play more audio from coach K where someone asked him if the guys in the locker room, his players are pushing the panic button on the season after uh, this loss last night. So here's coach K on whether or not Duke has a panic button. They're 18, 19, and 20. There there should be no panic buttons on young people who have a chance to play at this level of college basketball. You know, if there was a panic button, it would be for 73-year-old people who have coached for 46 years. Uh, And I don't have one. So, uh, no, we just, yeah, they got to get tougher. You know, we don't have... This is such a young team. It, it, in, it it's such a young team, and uh, it's it's as young a team as we've had for just a long time. So we can't afford to be down. We we have to we have to respond. You heard it, folks. No, he does not have a panic button. The players don't. And the 73-year-old who was leading this team clearly doesn't as well. So I think in that, in a way, that's good, right? You, you don't want to hear the guys are down on themselves and, and the team is down on each other and, you know, in fighting or whatever. Uh, but, you know, he was clearly frustrated last night, but you could see he's frustrated because he knows that we're close, that we just have to put it together. We have to put a whole half together. We have to put a whole game together. And we haven't done that yet this year. Uh, we saw some stretches in the second half where we played great basketball. We were able to fight back into it. How do we take that, bottle it, and put it towards our next game and the game after that and the game after that? I think that is what they're going to be working on this week. Jason, what do you think about that? Uh, look, uh, the bottom line is Duke wins the final 30 minutes of these games often resoundingly. The problem is the first five, six, ten minutes of the game, we are getting down so much that we're fighting back and, and just, you know, it's, it's too much of a hill to climb. Uh, we, we've got to stop. It, it, even in the games that we win, that's happening. We've got to stop that. And, and, and uh, you know, Louisville coming up this weekend, this is another good ACC team where if we get down, we're not going to be able to come back. It can't, it can't happen. It can't happen anymore. It just I can't. almost wish that Duke had a shorter layoff after the pit game before going to the Louisville game, because the, one of the things that's missing from this season is a level of consistency, be it coach K having to, having to be away from the team due to COVID protocol, Jalen Johnson getting injured games, getting canceled, the schedule getting blown up for them. It, it's, it's one thing to be rested and ready for games. It's another thing to be getting into a rhythm and, Duke has not yet gotten into a rhythm at all this season. You can clearly see it by every time they come out on the floor, they, they fall behind almost immediately. So I almost wish that they were playing Louisville like tomorrow night, just, all right, now we're, now we're in the zone. We've got, you know, we've got a semblance of, of 
who the, the kind of top players on the team are and who we're running the offense through and who the most effective defensive players are. Let's just go out and play another game. So I, I want to see Duke just play a few games back to back to back and, and get that, that repetition and that level of consistency, because I think that that last 30 minutes of the game syndrome that, that Duke is having hopefully becomes a full 40, you know, within a week or two of, of them just getting to play together and, and normalize being on this team. Yeah, look, speaking of the panic button, I'm not hitting it at all. I am I'm seeing a team that is clearly capable of playing with anybody in the country. And they just need to figure out a way to become more concerned. I am actually panicking a little bit for this Duke team because they're running out of opportunities. They lost the two non-conference games that were marquee opponents to Illinois and Michigan State. They have not, they've lost a couple of, of ACC games that are against teams that are not necessarily bad, but are teams that, that Duke should be beating if they're one of the top four or five teams in a conference that has overall not performed that well this year. So if the ACC is only bound to have four or five teams in the tournament this season, maybe it's a little more because other conferences are, are going to drop out and not be able to participate. But if the ACC doesn't have that many teams in the tournament, Duke is, is losing opportunities to become one of those teams, and, and those opportunities are, are slipping away quickly. I also, given the, the announcement from the NCAA this week that we're going to get to in a second about, um, you know, about the schedule for the tournament, given that announcement about them trying to hold the tournament at the same time, the ACC does not have many days to reschedule games. So Duke has lost two games to opponents who are good. Maybe I don't know if Pittsburgh's making the NCAA tournament, but they've just proven that they're a good opponent. So I would love for Duke to get another opportunity to play them, to beat them and hopefully overcome this loss. Same thing with Florida state. Duke doesn't Duke is going to lose those opportunities and therefore losing opportunities to, to have wins that are going to get them into the tournament. Duke is not guaranteed to make the NCAA tournament this year based on their performance so far. And I think that should be concerning to Duke fans, given that it is now late January. Well, I will say this uh, flashback two and a half weeks ago, we were at the beginning of the year, Jason gave an over under the number of games that we would play. And you said it at three and a half, we have played four. And I think the word consistency is something that Coach K said last night. It's something that we have been talking about quite a bit. Hopefully, playing more games will create that consistency. But you're right. These layoffs, whether they're built into the schedule or they're not, have been incredible uh, with keeping us inconsistent. And our consistency needs to come back for us to become a good basketball team. We will leave it there. We obviously have a lot more to talk about. We will pause here for a quick break. But on the other side, we prepare for Louisville to come to town on Saturday, hopefully. And the NCAA has changed around some of the normal dates for the NCAA tournament. Sam alluded to this. What dates do you now need to have your vacation days? Stick around to find out. We are back, guys, and Duke is now scheduled to take on Louisville this Saturday, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time game. Louisville, 9-3 and three overall, 4-2 and two in the ACC. They are also coming off a two-game losing streak. Uh, so let's preview the Cardinals and, and kind of figure out what to expect from them on Saturday afternoon. Sam, uh, you are dealing with the players to watch out for. There's no Jordan War anymore. Uh, he is gone, but who else is there that Duke fans should key in on Saturday afternoon? Well, Jason mentioned in the last segment that he's looking at Justin Champagny as a potential ACC player of the year candidate. I will submit Louisville's lead guard, Carlick Jones, who is a senior transfer from Radford. It, this is his first season with the Cardinals. He, he played up through last season with Radford and, and is now uh, in Louisville and he he's not a big guy he's only six foot one but boy has he made an impact this year 18 points a game six rebounds and five assists he's all over the court he's not big but he's extremely effective and was also named to the um to the wooden award watch list so Carlick Jones I think is the is, is clearly the most important player for Louisville he's he's uh he's the highest on the team in usage is is nationally ranked in Ken Palm in, in a number of of key statistical areas. So that's the guy that, that Duke fans need to be keyed in on. I'm curious to see if the zone defense move continues into this game because Jones is so obviously 
like ahead of the pack on, on Louisville and, and is, is running the team that I don't know that his own defense is going to necessarily contain him, but I am not the defensive coaching expert that, that Mike Krzyzewski is. So I am curious to see one, if the zone defense continues around Jones and two, if it doesn't, then which of the Duke players are going to pick him up as their defensive assignment? I mentioned he's not very big. So you might expect one of Jordan Goldwire or Jeremy Roach potentially to, to be guarding him, but he's fast and, and he can, he can score all over the floor. He hasn't been great at three point shooting this year, but he's been good. And he proved last year that he was a good three point shooter. So I expect that even to, to pick up for him. That's the guy to, to really look out for. Another dude who is important for Louisville is David Johnson. He's a six, five sharpshooter. He's, he's hitting 42% from three and is also pulling down six rebounds and, and, and getting four dimes a game. So this is a Louisville team that has guys that are dynamic. They're, they're not necessarily the biggest, but they're able to make a big impact on the court. And then the one other player that I think is really interesting for them is Jalen Withers. He's a uh, freshman uh, forward, six foot eight from Charlotte. So he's playing a team that is, you know, relatively from his, from his backyard, just a couple hours away from where he grew up. He's averaging 10 points and seven boards a game. And he was only a three-star recruit for Louisville, but is clearly playing above his, his recruiting ranking so far this year has been a key contributor so far for the Cardinals. So those, those three guys really stand out to me. It's not a super deep rotation. So hopefully Duke is not able, Duke doesn't have the same kind of foul trouble issues that they had against Pittsburgh. Um, maybe they're able to, to get Louisville in a bit of foul trouble, but uh, certainly the guy to look out for is, is Carlick Jones. Yeah. And, and, We've had some battles against Louisville in the past that I think we all remember the game uh, a couple of years ago where we came back from down 23 at Louisville, uh, prompting probably the greatest podcast episode in history that was then lost and had to be recreated. I'm so upset about that. <laughs> still I'm two still, years later, it's still, still the greatest. I'm still upset about it. I was walking around school the next day telling people how amazing it was and, and how <laughs> angry gone. I was that it didn't happen. Yeah. But uh, hopefully we don't have to talk about any comebacks uh, uh, this week. Hopefully we can just talk about a Duke victory. Uh, Jason, you deal with the advanced stats. What is Ken Palm and the rest telling you about this Louisville team? So this Louisville team is number 39 in Ken Pomeroy's rankings about like Virginia tech, um, uh, you know, who we played uh, a week ago. Uh, they have the 38th best offense, the 47th best defense they're one of these teams that does a lot of things well, but nothing great. You know, like if you look at their advanced stats and a lot of different metrics, they're like top hundred, top hundred, top hundred in everything, but not like top 50, top 30 in, in anything. Um, but that that's okay. That, that certainly is something that, that works for teams to do a lot of things well and nothing great. The one thing they don't do very well is shoot the three, just 32% from long range, which is 227th in the country. And they don't shoot a lot of threes either. Um, only 30% of their shots come from three. Um, and nationally, uh, most teams shoot, you know, much closer to like 38, 40% of their shots from three. So this is a Louisville team that wants to try and get a little bit closer to the basket. And very specifically, they're a team that loves to do screen and rolls, especially with Carlick Jones. Uh, he is, he is one of the best, you know, guys handling the ball in a screening roll situation that you'll see in the, uh, in the conference. And it's gonna be very interesting to see if Duke plays zone, how Duke tries to sort of defend um, because a, a screen and roll against uh, a zone is a very different thing than it is against a man-to-man. -man. So, so I'm going to be very interested in watching that. Other than Carlick Jones, they have nothing but freshmen and sophomores who play for them, which is really unusual. And it may be one reason why sort of like Duke and Kentucky, Louisville has struggled at time this year. I, I feel like the, the strangeness, the fits and starts of COVID have impacted the freshman adjustment and we're seeing it all across the college game. And it is not surprising to me that teams like Duke, like Kentucky, like Louisville, like North Carolina that are using a lot of freshmen are, are struggling somewhat and are really inconsistent this year. Um, uh, and, and as I was looking at Louisville and their statistics and advanced stats, I, I actually couldn't help but you know, sort of harken back to some, some stats about Duke. I have a couple weird stats that I want to talk about regarding Duke this season, because I think they are indicative of things that you should look for for this team um, in this Louisville game. Uh, so Duke is 36th best in the nation in block shots. That's very good. We are 15th best in steals. We're a great steals team. But we're, and, and, and by the way, we're, we're a top 50 defensive rebounding team. So like, 
We block shots. We steal the ball. We rebound well on defense. Why is our D not better? We just have the 45th best defense in the country. Why is it not better? Well, there are two things that are reasons why we are bad on defense. Teams hit better than 37% of their threes against us. That's, uh, that's almost like bottom 50 in the country. I mean, we are giving up threes at an incredibly alarming rate. And, and this is the weird thing. Duke is, uh, I mentioned earlier on the podcast, you know, there are 340, less than 350 teams in the country. Duke is 318th in the country in a stat called non-steal turnovers. That's where a team, you know, just fumbles the ball away or they walk with the ball or they commit an offensive foul. It's times where you get a turnover where pretty much they gave it to you as opposed to you stealing it from them. I consider that kind of to be a luck stat. You know, you know, I guess there's a little bit of getting your hands in there where you can involve yourself in that a little bit. But, but for Duke to be 318th in non-steal turnovers, it's just bizarre. It's just crazy. That is a, there's a simple explanation for that. Cameron, the crazies aren't there. The crazies like to rattle players and make them do stupid things like throw the ball away or dribble off their foot or something like that. And when you have the crazies doing the thing where they're, where they're bouncing their arms up and down, it just rattles them even more. That's not present this year. And that's probably why that stat's so low. That's a, that is a really interesting theory. And that, that, I mean, look, there's, there's gotta be some reason for that. It's a bizarre stat, but it matters. The fact that we don't get these extra turnovers other than steals matters because um, we are so great at steals. If we were getting these other ones, our, our turnover percentage on defense would, would have this defense as one of the best defenses in the country. And then the other weird, crazy stat I just wanted to mention to you. I want to mention three teams, Alabama, A&M, Stetson, and Auburn. Those are the only three teams in the country. Again, 350 teams in the country. Only three of them who have less experience on the court than Duke does. We are 344th out of 347 teams in terms of experience, the amount of time we are giving to, you know, to guys who've played more than just a few games. And we are also 307th in bench minutes. Duke is not using its bench. Duke is playing a lot of guys who are not experienced at college basketball. And we've had these weird fits and starts of the season. It should not be a shock that we are a terribly inconsistent team as a result. So I know I was supposed to be talking about Louisville, but I just came across those stats and I was like, that's crazy. That's wild. I can't no, believe that's, it, that. That's I really mean, good information because I think it is good that we're focusing on Louisville, but it's great that you brought in those stats too, because it kind of lays the picture of what do we need to improve on? What needs to get better on Saturday? And I think you alluded to a lot of those things. So uh, that's great that you were able to get that uh, research tied in with this. I think when it comes to Louisville, they have some teams that when you look at them and you're like, oh, they beat them. They would be, you're like, oh, okay, that's pretty decent. But this year has been kind of meh. Like Kentucky, they usually don't beat Kentucky, but they did this year uh, in a game that was, you know, wild because uh, it was very close. It was a game that uh, Louisville didn't want to play. They wanted to play at a neutral site. They didn't want to play it at home because they were losing the home game. Uh, the fans due to COVID and Kentucky wanted to play and then they ended up getting beat. It, it's, it's one of those, and that's obviously a game that they really want to win every single year. So it's, for them, it's good that they, they won that game. They've also beaten Seton Hall, which has been pretty decent at times this year, and sometimes they've been very inconsistent. Boston College, they beat Pitt at Pitt. Uh, they beat Virginia Tech, and I think you guys were watching that game with me that night. That game was a dumb game. It was terrible. Uh, but they ended up beating Virginia Tech at home uh, back on the 6th. And like I mentioned at the top, they are just coming off losses at Miami and versus Florida State. So they want to get off the, the losing streak we want to get off the losing streak. This is going to be a game where they obviously will have the friendly confines of the Yum Center. We will be traveling once again for the third straight game. It will be a game about want and will and desire. We talked about the energy that we need to bring. This will be a test. Can we come out of the gates rolling in those first four minutes, that first TV, up to that first TV timeout? Can we get the game off to a point where Louisville is on their heels and not us being on their heels? That will be the key to this game, I think, because after that, I think we can play with these guys. And, and one more little thing I want to mention. In the preseason, we were talking about Duke's schedule many, it feels like ages ago. Uh, I, I remarked that 
the front half of the of the schedule of our ACC schedule is is the more favorable half. That Duke has a tougher back half of the ACC schedule. Look, that that's usually the case because we always play Carolina twice in the back half, and they're usually a pretty good team. Um, but but you know that is most assuredly the case again this year. We 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 just uh, we're three and two in the conference. We just got to find a way to sort of get back in into our winning ways and and get well above 500 in the conference because there are going to be some tough games coming up and uh and uh, th th this team needs to find the consistency to be able to win games against teams that we need to beat in that middle tier of the acc to separate ourselves and make sure that we are in jason i think we can't emphasize that enough that duke hasn't played one of any of the really top teams in the ACC yet. And, and the ACC is not nearly as strong as it normally is. Well, but maybe Virginia Tech, may, Virginia Tech, maybe. I mean, maybe, but Virginia Tech is still rated 37th in Ken Palm. Duke hasn't yet played Virginia. Duke hasn't yet played Florida State. You know, the, the, the top of the conference is still looming for Duke. Uh, actually, we may not play Florida State this year. I, uh, in fact, at this point, I think it's, I haven't seen the ACC try to reschedule any of the games that have been called off for COVID. I think we're going to go through this entire ACC season and not play Florida State, which I guess is a blessing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there because, like you said, and Sam, like you said earlier, there's, there's not a lot of days left to put these games that have been postponed. And as these postpones mount, like, what are we going to do? And, and we're just going to have different, uh, different teams with different records. But uh, we'll see what the ACC comes up with it. I do want to shift, however, to the NCAA because there are other dates that we need to talk about. Uh, yesterday, they released their schedule for this year's NCAA tournament, and they've switched around some of the dates from what are usually the normal days of the week that games are played. So I'll take you through the schedule very quickly. The first four is normally played on the Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday after selection Sunday. This year, they will be played on Thursday, March 18th. Uh, both games will be at Mackey Arena in at, uh, home of Purdue and Assembly Hall, which is the home of Indiana. Then the first round begins that Friday. Normally it begins on a Thursday, but the first round will be Friday and Saturday, March 19th and 20th. The second round, Sunday and Monday, March 21st and 22nd. So we'll have games on Monday uh, in the round of 32. The Sweet 16 takes place on Saturday, March 27th, Saturday and Sunday. So the weekend games are these elite Sweet 16 games. The Elite Eight moves to Monday and Tuesday with the Final Four and the National Championship game taking its normal stature of Saturday and Monday. Saturday, April 3rd for the Final Four, the National Championship game on Monday, April 5th. So for me, I, I'm wondering if they – and I'll get to reaction on the actual switches. I wonder if they switch around the women's dates too, because this will go head to head with just about the entirety of the women's NCAA tournament. The women usually get Monday and Tuesday to themselves, and now they won't, uh, especially during the, the bulk of the first and second rounds and even the uh, regional uh, portion of the tournament. So Sam, I go to you. What do you have? What's your reaction to moving the games just slightly. I know we avoid St. Patrick's day, which I think in the COVID era is like probably a good thing. Bars will not have to worry about that whatsoever. Uh, but I do think for some people that they may not really like this Monday, Tuesday setup, especially for the elite eight. Look, I'm not overly concerned about exactly what days these games are being played on relative to where they normally are everyone's readjusting their schedule and expectations during the pandemic anyway. So it's not like we're, we're setting precedents that, that can't be undone going forward. I would like to take you back. I think it was about two months ago. We were talking about the NCAA talking about how they were going to do the tournament and, and having the whole thing potentially in, in the state of Indiana so they could keep everybody potted up. And I said something to the effect of, I don't know if this is the right plan, but I'm glad that the NCAA is thinking about it because it means that they're willing to, to be a little outside the box and, and to be forward thinking when it comes to trying to make this thing work. I would like to mostly retract that statement. I think that the NCAA has had like really took a half measure here to say, yeah, we're going to have everybody in the same place. But the fact that they're holding to this tournament schedule and not trying to see, like we've talked about how the ACC has barely tried to reschedule games. The ACC is certainly not the only conference that is, is having games go by the wayside that might need to get replayed. The ACC is not the only conference that expects to 
have a end of season tournament where all the teams have to come together in a very short period of time and play a whole bunch of games together, which means they're all going to be exposed to each other leading up to selection Sunday, just five days before the tournament starts. The fact that they're basically sticking to the same schedule tells me that the NCAA is really not trying to come up with a plan that is, that is more likely going to work. They are trying to hew as closely as possible as they can to the normal way that things work and hope that, that it turns out for the best. My prediction, as it's been for a lot of these things, is it's not going to go this way. And, and what I'm really worried about is we get to the first weekend of the tournament and you have a few teams that aren't able to play. So they're just going to miss out on, on their opportunity to play in the tournament or they'll, they'll have a few key players missing and then it effectively will be like they weren't there at all because they, they didn't really get a fair shake at their opponent. Then you'll go through the first weekend a couple more teams will have infections going into the sweet 16 and teams are going to have to drop out, be shorthanded. It's just not going to be fun to watch and, and, and not going to be fun to participate in for these, for these teams, because they're not really taking the thing fully seriously, except that once people get sick or once people get infected, they may have to sit out. So I think the timeline is too compressed. I don't think they were creative enough in coming up with a solution where, they can nearly guarantee that the games are going to go off as planned with the players and the coaches that they expect to have on the sidelines. And I think, Sam, I think that's the biggest question that is missing from all these announcements that the NCAA has is what happens when a team has to go on pause during the NCAA tournament? Do they miss out? Are there going to be alternate teams for like, you know, hey, you missed the tournament, but stay ready. Like you might get called in. Like, And I like the happen? idea... And I like the idea that the, the schedule is a little bit more compressed. I think it's like a few days more compressed than it normally would be. I actually like that because as I've talked about when it comes to like the idea of the ACC potentially bubbling up, I, like, I think it, it makes a lot of sense for, you know, you send all the teams that are in the NCAA tournament to one location and just get the thing over with over the course of two weeks because the NCAA tournament happened, you know, it's, it's two games a week basically which is about what teams are used to playing anyway. I'm sure if you compress that a little bit, the teams would be fine with it. They play four or five games in a row in their conference tournaments the week before, and no one seems to complain about that. So yeah, get it over with quickly, but don't do it right on the heels of, of the end of the conference tournament season where everyone has been traveling around and doing all of that. Give yourself a buffer. Send everybody to, to one location where you know they can spend at least a week in, in that place and then play the games. Not, not this solution that feels like they're just trying to get it over with. I'll tell you exactly probably why they're trying to stick to this plan as long as possible is because they get a, you know, buku money from CBS and CBS is like, we can't do this next weekend because we have the masters and they were not going to move the masters for the NCAA tournament. And the NCAA doesn't want to play the games after the masters for some inexplicable reason, because that means CBS will have to play games during the masters. That's the inexplicable you, you, you hit on it. Like, who cares? They played the Masters in the fall this past year. And sure, the, the TV ratings were not as good as they normally are. But no sports event TV ratings are as good as they normally are. Like, right. maybe the Super Bowl will buck that trend in a couple of weeks. But nothing has gone according to plan this year. Absolutely. Well, and I don't understand why. Look, we, we already lost. We're losing the Thursday start of the tournament, which is, you know, it's a freaking national holiday for it's a lot of the greatest day of the year. And, and uh, and instead we're starting on Friday and the opening weekend extends to Monday. I mean, are, are they going to be playing games? I guess they're going to be playing round of 32 games at, at noon on Monday. Uh, okay. So I guess I'm taking Friday and Monday off from work instead of Thursday, Friday, but it's, it, it, it's crazy. Once you start moving the schedule around that much and, and then, and then we're going to have sweet 16 games on Mondays and Tuesdays. Uh, I, I mean, grade eight games on Mondays and t it's just like, once you throw it all in, into that kind of craziness, why are you like, oh my God, we need to make sure that we're done in time for the masters. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, I don't understand why we're doing this in a way that, that doesn't sort of allow, I, I sort of think, I sort of think compress it, bubble everyone up and compress it even more. Like if that's what you're really going to do, get everyone in a damn bubble and say, okay, we're going to be here for two weeks and we're just going to play, you know, bang, 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 bang. We're going to be constantly playing because We've got to get games in before, you know, guys get out and get COVID. But it doesn't look, doesn't sound like they're going to bubble ever. I mean, bubbling up 60 plus teams would be freaking insane anyway. It's hard, but think about, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Think about all the places around the country where 
there are no tourists right now. So there's tons of hotels. Name true, any true. name any like even mid-sized city. There are enough hotel rooms to house 65 teams and and the requisite you know staff and referees and stuff. And consider that in a lot of places, gyms are closed, schools are closed. So you you don't have to play the NCAA tournament. It's cool that they're playing the NCAA tournament in places like Hinkle Fieldhouse. It does not have to be that way. They could play these games in any old gym, like anywhere. So if they did, if they do this in Indianapolis, there are probably high schools and, and gyms that are closed. Just use those courts and 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 get the games out of the way. Set up some 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 cameras in there. Do it the way that that ESPN did it with the Wide World of Sports for the NBA, and have it only last for three weeks. And I, I actually think they could afford to do it that way, and that they're just not taking that extra leap. That's where I'm where I'm dinging the NCAA on a lack of creativity here. Yeah. And the one thing that I will say is I think there is one place in America that might actually like the start of the tournament being on Friday. And that's Vegas uh, because a lot of people like to travel to Vegas for the NCAA tournament and that start and that Thursday 9am game. If you ever done it before, uh, I highly recommend it. Not this year uh, is definitely something to partake in uh, having that on a Friday. I'm sure Vegas is like, absolutely put the first games of the, of the NCAA tournament on a Friday and have everybody streaming for the weekend. Uh, but I, I do think that other than that, I think Sam, you're right. I think the creativity is lost here. I think moving in a date doesn't really one day doesn't really shift anything. They do need to be able to be more flexible than that. Uh, I just don't know if they're going to, uh, you know, and by the way, I want to point out, I mean, this is going to be a crazy, weird, bizarre. You don't need me to tell you that NCAA tournament. Have you guys bothered to look at, at sort of who's struggling and who looks like they're in the tournament and who's not? Um, mm-hmm. It is entirely possible, entirely possible that this is going to be an NCAA tournament that does not include Kentucky, Duke, UNC, Michigan State, Syracuse, Arizona, Indiana. I, I mean, there are a lot of teams that you're like, oh, book them every year. You know, uh, th- this is a, these are teams that are always in the top 10, top 15, always. And there are a lot of those teams that are on the bubble, maybe off the bubble. Uh, it, it, it's going to be a crazy, bizarre season. I, I, I honestly think at this point, the one thing that I'm sure of is that Gonzaga is the best team in the country and they're not going to win a national championship because nothing is going to plan this year. Uh, and I don't think having the number one team go wire to wire as the number one team is going to be that one constant. I think someone is going to shock everyone in this day and age where other than maybe Gonzaga and Baylor, everyone is kind of here and the, on the meh level uh, for college basketball. One of those teams will get hot when the time is right and win this national championship. Dude, dude, I've seen Gonzaga and Baylor play. They're on a different level from everyone else. This year. I know. And that's why they're both going to lose. Because And by the way, that's how, this, how this has been working so far this season. By the way, they're both very experienced teams. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see what happens whenever this tournament is played. We will be back. This will conclude episode 272 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We'll be back over the weekend. Should Duke play a little bowl to recap this game? But no matter what happens this weekend, we will be back soon. So for Sam Klein and Jason Evans, I am Donald Wine. Uh, DC, stay home and stay safe today. This is the Duke Basketball Report podcast and Duke Band. Take us home. I will tell you this uh, last night. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. Uh, then when I posted it, but some dude, the been, guy with the there's some explosion. Yeah. Or something like that. No, 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 I, no, no, no. He's been riding around DC on a, on a scooter blasting the air raid siren from the purge. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone in DC is like, yo, bruh, like this is not, this is not, the can they, to do that. I, Please. I mean, can they not give him some kind of noise violation? Uh, well, there is no nobody out there to stop him. Ah, H- hang on, hang on. I thought the streets were nothing but filled with law enforcement. No, no the the 
federal district part of things are filled with national troops and everything's been concentrated there. We get them all the time because of motorcades and stuff. But it's not like they're just out all over the streets, but also gotcha. I don't know that because I haven't opened the door to my apartment since Friday. <laughs> <laughs> like not even to take out the garbage, not to get delivery, nothing. Has, that door has remained locked for five days.